Welcome to City Reach Cumberland's weekly podcast. We hope this message blesses you. For more information about us, you can check us out on the web at cityreachcumberland.com. Uh, so where's Phil? Is Phil up here? There he is back there. Phil prayed that we would uh, receive the love that God has for us today. But do you know that sometimes, or it says in the Bible that whom God loves, he corrects. Who's ready to be corrected today? That wasn't the kind of love story I wanted to hear. Uh, I got to tell you this last. Message because uh, something I personally struggle with. I struggle with what I'm going to talk to you about today. Uh, it's it's uh, something I've just one of those things I, I've dealt with my whole life. We're going to going to teach from a, a passage today in Matthew chapter 20 verses 1 through 16. It, it's a parable of the laborers or the workers in the vineyard. It's in Matthew chapter 20. We're going to start in Matthew 19, because really there's a, there's a, a precursor to that. The story starts in, in chapter 19, but the parable is in chapter 20. My voice sound, sounds crackly or something. I may have to lose the sweater. If you see me take the sweater off, so the volume, the clarity is a little bit better. Um, so sometimes, here's what happens. If you didn't have to interact with anybody, you'd probably have no problems, right? Like, you wouldn't probably get angry. You probably wouldn't get upset. You wouldn't get bitter. You wouldn't get jealous if it weren't for people. But we don't live in a bubble. And what happens a lot of times is we have attitudes... And we have certain ways of thinking that sometimes get suppressed and buried over the years. And God allows things to come in your life that, that will bring those, those attitudes to the surface. And when they come to the surface, the opportunity is we can push them back down or we can allow God's word to, to prune us. And, and so when we get pruned, God prunes us to a position of being more fruitful. God and to God's word, I ask that you would allow those things to surface. Have you ever seen those things where you put in and it turns the water black? That's gross, isn't it? Like you have all those impurities you don't even know are in the bottom of your foot. And but that's what you know. That's what we're going to allow God's word to do today. We're going to allow God's word to bring some things to the surface and uh, and hopefully prune us. Because pruning is okay. Pruning says every branch that bears fruit, I prune so that you can bear more fruit. So what I've noticed over, over my life is, is there's, there's two main ways or things happen or have somebody get something you thought you deserved more than they did? I see John shaking his head up here. But sometimes there's things that we have to deal with that are problems in our own life. Other times it's when all of a sudden that, that creates a certain wrong attitude in us. And, and so that's really where I want to go with today. The parable of the laborers in the vineyard, the, uh, the key phrase I want to uh, key in on, it says, the last shall be first. Now, Matthew is the only gospel that records this, this parable, although all three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record what precedes it, the conversation Jesus has with Peter. So let's turn, if you have your Bibles, you want to turn to, to Matthew chapter 19. I just want to open up by this. So we see this phrase. I'm turning to it. The, la, the first, we, as I say, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. How many have heard that before? Right. So when we're looking at things of the kingdom of God, you know, the, people will say that the kingdom of God is somewhat upside down in nature. Right. 
the way that things work in God's kingdom is not necessarily they work in our, in our everyday world. And so we see things in the Bible as Jesus teaches us about the kingdom that he says, if you want to go up or be elevated, how do you do that? By going low. If you want to lead, you do it by serving. That if you want to be the greatest, you be the least. If you want to live, you live by dying. He says things like, the last shall be first, or the first shall be last. That if you want to gain, you gain by giving away. And so we have all these different things that we see Jesus teach on, and, and they just a lot of times don't make sense because our mindset is really developed in, in the way we grew up, the world we live in, and so the kingdom operates a little bit different. Now, I do want to give a caveat. Well, I'll save that for later. We're going to save that for later. So for those that want to can, uh, keep this parable in context, I'll address that later. But there's a couple things I want to pull out, uh, pull out from this today. So first Corinthians, I'm sorry, first Corinthians. Anybody want to go to first Corinthians? Somebody said first Corinthians 13. No, where were we at? Matthew, Matthew 19. Okay. So Peter, verse 27. So you remember the disciples, you know, they've, they've left everything to follow Jesus, right? A lot of them have given up their professions, their families. They've, they've, they've just walked away from, from life as we know it, and they're following Jesus. And Peter says this in verse 27. It says, Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? What, what are we going to have? What's in it for me? At the end of the day, I've left everything for you, Jesus. And what do I have to show for it? Anybody ever ask that question? I've given up this. Now, what's my reward going to be? So Jesus has two answers, one specifically for the disciples and one for us. He says in verse 28, He says, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of glory, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. That was a specific answer for the twelve apostles. And then verse 29, he says, And everyone... Any everyone's in here? Ah, I got some no ones, some somebodies, nobodies, everybody's. He says, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. And then he goes on, he's going to explain this a little bit farther. Here's what I want to point out. Well, so some people might say, well, that hundredfold is for the future. Or is that hundredfold for today? Now, I don't want you to think for a minute, when Jesus says hundredfold, some translations will say a hundred times. It doesn't necessarily mean a hundred times. Matter of fact, uh, the, the New American Standard, NASB, translates, translates it like this. It says many times as much. It just means more. Because think about it, if, if Jesus says, if I give up my wife, I'm going to get a hundred wives, right? Could that be true? Probably not. Or if I give up my mother, am I going to have a hundred mothers? Talking to all you mothers out there. No. So it, it's really a figure of speech. So when he talks about a uh, hundredfold, you're going to have a hundredfold uh, if you sacrifice. hundredfold is really a figure of speech many times as much. You're going to have many times over. And so what Jesus is saying, he's saying that my desire for you is that you learn how to receive a hundredfold for what you've given up. But there's a way to receive it and there's a way not to receive it. Turn, hold your finger there, and I want you to look at Mark, because here's what Mark does. Mark gives us a little more clarification on this. So Mark chapter 10. So not to take away from what Matthew wrote, but here, sometimes if we compare compare writers, we get a little bit more insight. So, you remember the, th the, the story when Jesus was saying that it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God? Anybody ever heard that? That's what Matthew recorded. And so, if we just read Matthew, we think, well, if I have money, it's going to be pretty difficult to get in the kingdom of God. 
If you read Mark's version, Mark says this, he gives a little more clarification to it. He says how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. So Mark, not taking away from Matthew wrote, gives a little more clarity to it. And so if you, get, if you look at this and think, well, the hundredfold or the, the much more than is for later, Mark gives us a little more clarity. So what's Mark say? It says, so G, the same setting, so Jesus answered and said, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sister or father or mother or wife or children or lands, get this, for I'm not going to talk about this so much today, but there's a lot of people that sacrifice for themselves, but Jesus said in context, when you're sacrificed for my sake. There's a lot of people you see doing ministry. Maybe they're doing ministry to, to be on a certain platform. Maybe they're doing it for money. Maybe they're doing it for recognition. Maybe they're doing it for who they can connect with. Jesus said there's nobody who has done this sacrificed for my sake or for the gospel who shall not receive a hundredfold. What does Mark add here? Now, in this time. So is it talking about now or later? Now. Talk about now. Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands. Oh, here's the part we don't like to keep. <laughs> There's nobody who sacrificed for me who will not receive a hundredfold now, da-da-da-da-da, with persecution. Like, we just read over that. And in the age to come, eternal life. So he's saying the hundredfold, the, the much more than now, eternal life in its fullness later. And he goes on to say, but many who are first will be last, and first will be last. Well, here's what I noticed. Is nobody has a problem when they're the one receiving the hundredfold. The problem always comes when the other guy gets it. Or the other person gets it. And what Jesus is going to teach us here is the way that, that, that we think about things with the legalistic mindset that I deserve this, and because I did this, I deserve this, and, and you only did that, and therefore you only deserve that. And he's going to kind of tear that down a little bit. Here's what I want to tell you. When God pours out his abundance on you, there's going to be some persecution. There's going to be some people that talk about you. There's going to be some people that hate on you. And it doesn't matter what form that abundance looks like. But if I don't learn how to rejoice in your season of abundance, I'll never be able to withstand the persecution that comes during my season. I don't learn how to rejoice in your season of abundance. Things are, when you're getting the thing that I've contended for, when you receive the thing I've been praying for, when you get the thing that I think I deserve, if I don't learn how to rejoice in that season, I'm never going to grow to a level of maturity and health to where I'll be able to withstand the persecution that's going to come along in my season of Remember, God's going to be exposing some things here to, to, to prune us. And so I really want to talk about two things today. I want to talk about comparison and complaining. Comparison and complaining. I told you this wasn't going to be lovey-dovey, feel-good, slapping high-fives, leaving church, Holy Ghost coming, you know. It's going, to be, it's going to be a little difficult. We're going to have a little fun, all right? Remember, when God corrects us, it's to improve us. So when God says, when Jesus says that in this, in, in this time, you'll receive a hundredfold for your sacrifice for me, that's his intention. His intention is always for your best. His intention is always for more. And, and so let me, just, let me just temper this a little bit. Somewhere along the line, people have equated living in with being spiritual. Poverty was more live in poverty continuously than it is to live in sin or to live in sickness. 
Now, other people have taken it to the extreme and say that the more material things you have, the more spiritual you are, and that's just as wrong. Every time Jesus teaches about receiving an abundance, he talks about increase. He never talks about going backwards. But he has to teach us how to be able to receive it. Because here's what I know. If God were to release everything into your life that, that he has for you, it would crush you. And if he doesn't develop us, and if he doesn't mature us to the point that where we can carry it, it will break us. And so that's a lot of times why God gives things in stages. He gives you a little bit. You're faithful with it. He gives you a little bit more. You're faithful with it. He gives you a little bit more. You're faithful with it. And we develop from one level to another. All right. So here we go. We're going to read this parable. And we're going to really touch on two things today. And I'm going to be hopefully a little vulnerable with you. I won't call on anybody, I promise. You guys awake today? Does anybody want to hear what the Lord has to say? I do, right? Because I struggle. Chapter 20, verse 1, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning. All right, so we're going we're gonna to see some time frames here. What you have to remember is, the Jewish day, God bless you, the Jewish day started at 6 p.m. at night and went until 6 p.m. the next day. Night, they start with night, and they have that, and then the second half of their day is what's our day. Ours is backwards. But it's the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner went out early in the morning, and I, I put those brackets, those are my brackets, 6 a.m. to hire laborers for his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. So here's what's going on. When At that time, people that wanted to work or needed a job would go to basically the gate of the city or, or wherever the, maybe it was the town square, and they would stand out and they would just be available for hire. And anybody that had a business or, or fields, typically it was a landowner that needed workers in his vineyard, in this case, he'd come out first thing in the morning, 6 a.m., and he would hire somebody. And they would work from 6 a.m., I know, I know this will blow your mind, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. They worked a 12-hour day. Now, they weren't working three 12s. I know we get stuck on, but this was a 12-hour day. These guys worked a lot. And so the landowner would come out and he'd say, uh, hey, I want to hire you. Are you available? They said, yes. They negotiate a deal, right? What, what's the deal that they make? One denarius for one day's work. Now that, that was an average wage for a worker at that time. So let's just say it's $100. Whatever, whatever that number is, it was an average wage for a day's work. And, and so he said he made an agreement. They shook on it. They said, okay, you work 12 hours, I'm going to pay you one denarius. And it says they did what? They, it's in yellow, Agreed. I want you to notice this because the landowner doesn't agree with anybody else. It says, when he had agreed with the laborers for dinners today, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour. So if, if six is, is zero, what would the third hour be? Nine o'clock. So they went nine o'clock and he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. So he comes back three hours later. You know, and they're just seeing guys hanging out, probably texting their girlfriend, you know, whatever they're doing. He's like, what are you doing? Says they're idle, they're not working, not employed. And uh, he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. What did he agree with the first ones? One denarius for 12 hours, one day. Now, the second group at 9 o'clock, what did he do? Not the same thing. He says, whatever is right, I will pay you. Now, who here has ever applied for a job before? Every, every hand better be up. 
How many remember your last job interview? I, 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 mine's been so long ago, I don't know if I could do it anymore. But, uh, my last job interview, I worked at a, a French restaurant in Frostburg, Maryland in 1986. That was the last time I was on a job interview. 86. I think it was like $2 an hour. Anybody remember those days? <laughs> yeah. What's a question that you always ask when you're interviewing for a job? What does it pay? Now, you could be all sanctimonious and, oh, whatever you want to pay me is fine. Have you anybody ever really said that? You want to know, hey, if I'm going to come to work for you, what does it pay? Now, if you came in to interview with me, and I really liked you, and I said, hey, you want to come to work? And you said, yes. And, and, and you said, what's the pay? And I said, eh, whatever's fair, I'll pay you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. Would you take that job? Now, if you knew me well enough, you might. If you what? If you trusted me. But if you just went to somebody you didn't know and he hired you or she hired you and they said, I'll pay you whatever's fair. I don't know what fair, like fair to you may not be fair to me. Has anybody ever got paid what they're worth? No. <laughs> Doesn't everybody think they're worth more than they get paid? I do. I feel like I should be making more. I haven't met, I've never had anybody come to me and say, you know what, boss, you're just paying me too much. You know, I, I just don't feel right. You're, you're, I'm going to give you $2 an hour back because it's just too much. That's never the case. So here he finds these guys. He says, hey, go in the field. Go work nine hours. And I'll pay you whatever's right. And so they did. They did. And he goes out again. It says again he went about the sixth. So now it's noon. Three hours later, he goes back at noon, and then again at the ninth hour, 3 p.m., and did likewise, and about the 11th hour. So he went out at 6 a.m., he went out at 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m., and 5 p.m. And what did he say to the 5 p.m. people? So it says the three, or the noon and the three, did likewise. So the same thing, hey, whatever's right, I'll pay you. And then he gets to the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing out and said, why have you been standing here idle all day? They said, no one's hired us. And he says, you go to the vineyard, whatever's right, you'll receive. Next slide. So when the evening come, the landowner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when they came, who were hired about the 11th hour, the 11th hour is what time? 5 p.m. And the quitting time is when? So how long did they work? One hour. Okay. How long did the first guys work? Twelve hours. Okay. He says to his steward, call the laborers, give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. Now how much did he promise to the first group? One denarius. He said, you work twelve hours, I'm going to pay you one denarius. What did he promise to everybody else? Whatever's right, that's what I'll pay you, or that's what you'll receive. And when they came, those who were hired about the 11th hour, they received an area. But when the first came, they supposed they would receive more, and likewise, they received an area. This is where it gets stepping on your toes, right? And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, the last man have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the heat and of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree? Remember, there's that word agree. Didn't we make a deal with it for me for a denarius? Verse 14. Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to, if I wish to give, I wish to give this last man the same as you, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first, first will be last. Man, Eric, call. You were chosen.
This is the first group. He said they what? They uh, agreed. They made a deal. Let me say this. I'll say this here. Matthew, the book of Matthew, is written to the Jews. Okay? So in the bigger picture here, Jews, Jews were first and the church is last. So in, in, in relation to time, the Jewish nation came first, the church came last. But now in relation to or respect to position and favor, the church is now first. Oh, sorry, I thought I was ringing. However, within that, Jesus wants to teach us a few things here. Five groups. The first group had an agreement for wage. How much was it? One denarius. And so what's Jesus do? If he tells his servant, he said, I want you to pay everybody, but I want you to start with the last and go backwards. Now, if he'd have called the first ones up first, what would he have paid them? What he agreed to, which was one denarius. And if Curtis was in that first group, and I paid Curtis first, and he went his way, then no issue. No issue whatsoever, because he got what he agreed to. He got what he deserved. He got what he earned. But when I pay Jen first, and Jen's in the 11th hour group, that, you want to be in that group, right? Yeah, yeah. I bring Jen up first, and I say, Jen, I said I was going to pay you what's right. Here's a denarius. Curtis here, it says, he supposed, he saw something. He, what do we start doing? We start doing a little math, right? Okay, let's see here. If Jen worked one, I'm going to see how smart we are today. If, this, is, this, is like, this is like those math problems. If Jen worked one hour and got one denarius, and I work 12 hours, I should get... Oh, I knew you guys were smart. This is the smartest church in Cumberland. Actually, I shouldn't say in Cumberland. I should just say the smartest church. Somebody told my wife one time, they said, uh, hey, you're, you're, you're the prettiest girl in Cumberland. She's like, well, I was fine when you said prettiest girl, but when you said in Cumberland, it's kind of limited. <laughs> So you never want to put that last prepositional phrase on there. It's not good. So we start, we start comparing if she got X for Y, then I should get 12X for 12Y. See, the difference is the first group made an agreement, and that's exactly how the law works. Under the law, you get what you deserve. Good or bad, you get what you deserve. You do good, you get good. You do bad, you get bad. Aren't you glad we don't live under the law? But what happens is, is when God wants to bestow his favor on somebody, we bring a law mentality into it. But don't sit there like you're holier than now and tell me you haven't done that. Somebody just said, I just did that this morning. <laughs> hey, I just got a new job. I got a promotion. How many ever saw somebody get promoted that you work with and they didn't deserve it? And you did. What do you do? Oh, God, that's so good. I'm so happy. Oh, God, isn't, isn't God good? And inside you're like, I will take your eyeballs out if I... And you're trying to be all sanctimonious and such a good Christian. Oh, isn't God good? Inside you're like, you 
I know how you work. You're on Facebook 12 hours a day. You're not working. You're taking sodas out of the company machine. I know you. I read my Bible every day. I fast. I pray. I tithe. You know, it reminds me of the Pharisee and the tax collector went to pray. You remember that story in Luke 18? It said two people went to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisee says, Father, I thank God that I'm not like other men, adulterers, and this tax collector, this wicked sinner. I fast twice a week and I tithe of all that I give. All that I make. Don't tell me you don't do it. Don't tell me you don't look at the favor of God on somebody else's life and say that I deserve that. God, don't you know that I'm faithful? Don't you know that I tithe? You know what he's doing? He's exposing something. Not that he doesn't want you to have it. You're not ready for it. what do we do? We want to compare. I've struggled this my whole life. I've struggled with this. What's the result when you start comparing? You know what the result is? Jealousy. This next slide. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things, or is your eye evil because I am good? How many will agree that God is good? Oh, God's so good. Oh, isn't he good to you? I hate you. (laughs) You don't deserve it. Kristen will say it's because I'm an only child I struggle with this. I don't buy that only child syndrome stuff. But I, Because I, I think everybody struggles with this to some degree. I was 12. We had a, we had a foreign exchange student, student from Mexico City come live with us, Victor Gomez. Now I can say that name because there's like a billion Victor Gomez's in the world. But this kid come to live with us for a summer, Mexico, sweet little kid. I was 12, he was 10. And would you know my grandfather gave him the big piece of cake one day? So my, my grandfather was Italian, and my grandma would make these big sheet cakes, and he'd cut off the side, and he'd say, that's yours, and this piece is mine, like this big. But he cut the slice off and gave it to Victor. I was like, he doesn't deserve He's from Mexico. (laughs) I'm American. I'm blood. He's not. He doesn't deserve it. My grandfather just wanted to be nice to him. I'm a senior in high school. My dad has always been in the car business, but when I, I got my first car was a 1978 Buick Skyhawk. 1978 Buick Skyhawk. This is 1988. I'm a senior in high school. I'm not proud of the Buick Skyhawk. Let me just say this. It wasn't like a car that got girl. I mean, it just, it just was a Buick Skyhawk. But then there was a kid in 11th grade that rolls in in a new Corvette one day. I'm like, my dad sells cars. Your dad makes sandwiches. You're in the restaurant business. My family's, I deserve a Corvette. I gotta drive this stupid Buick, and I hated him for it. Now he's still in business here in Cumberland. I'm not gonna tell you who it is. Because every, I guarantee you, every person there would know who this guy is. Even recently, I was wanting to buy another 
store, a group of stores about an hour away, and somebody else got them, and I just ended up running into that person. And, hey, Fred, did you, did you know we just bought store XYZ and, and, and right in your backyard? I did the old, oh, that's so good. <laughs> it's amazing how God's blessing you, you unsaved Presbyterian <laughs> sinner. I'm like, God, I'm a Pentecostal. Come on. And I started all over again. Because you can't rejoice in somebody else's season of abundance. And until you can do that, you'll never be able to carry the persecution that comes with the abundance when it hits your life. So again, I let God continue to prune me and prune me. And I'm still, this was just a few months ago. And I'm sure it'll, hopefully it won't happen again, but it might. Am I just preaching to myself this morning? This word evil eye, it actually means jealous eye. It means to have, have a look of jealousy. Some translations will even say, uh, are you jealous because I'm generous? The way they'll translate it. But this goes back even to the Old Testament. It was a Hebrewism. Uh, and I want to show you an example of it. You guys remember King Saul? Remember King Saul? Look at First uh, uh, Samuel chapter 18. This is from the New Living Translation. It says, when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. So the women are coming out to meet who? King Saul. King Saul is the king. He's the guy. Right? A lot of times kings went to battle. Kings were valiant. It said, they sang and danced with tambourines and cymbals. And I can just imagine the procession King Saul, he's coming, and they're coming back victory, and out come the women, and they're chanting, and they're, they had to be Pentecostals because it said they were playing the tambourines, and you can just imagine. But the song that they sang wasn't the song that Saul wanted to hear. It said this was their song. And I can imagine when they sang the first chorus, Saul has killed his thousands. Guess what? I've killed my thousands. But David has killed his ten thousands. Talk about letting air out of your balloon. Now, what, what, what would have been the right response there? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Who won? Who won the battle? Israel did. Isn't that a good thing? Shouldn't I celebrate that David killed 10,000 compared to my 1,000 because my team won? You know, when we compare, you typically only compare yourself to people that are like you. Women don't get jealous of men. Women get jealous of other women. You see what that hooker is wearing? <laughs> Who does she think she is? Big old slut. <laughs> now, you, a guy could see the same person and be like, oh, that's pretty cute. Yeah. She looks attractive, but not the woman. Because you only compare to somebody like, might be same gender, might be same age. You don't really have kids jealous of their grandparents. <laughs> hey, he's grandpa. He, he's entitled to whatever he has. You have kids jealous of other kids. Pastors aren't jealous of pro football players. Pastors are jealous of other pastors. Whew. Let's see here. Well... I got 
247 views last week, and Phil got 342. Well, you don't care about that. Be careful of people that are similar to you, because that's the ones that will pull this out. David's not a king yet, but he's almost a king. I think Saul knows it. And look, look at the next slide. It says, this made Saul very elated. No. Made Saul angry. What is this? They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands? What's he doing? Comparing. He's comparing. Next time they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye. Jesus said, Is your eye evil? Because I am good. See, what happens a lot of times, the evil eye is looking horizontally. When our eye ought to be looking vertically. See, we get hung up on the stuff that God has released into somebody else's life instead of the person who gave it who is ultimately good. What should the response be? Thank you, Father, that you allowed David to kill 10,000, that you are so good, that you gave us the victory. We want to bring people into, the, into this thing of they don't deserve it, they didn't earn it, I earned it. How about this one? You ever seen somebody... Just say, drunk on the street, gets healed of cancer. But Aunt Sally taught Sunday school for 30 years, died. What do we do? It's not fair. God, don't you know she was this? Don't you know she was that? Don't you know? What are we doing? Parent. You've got to be able to rejoice in somebody else's breakthrough. Even when it's the thing that you've been contending for for years. And until you can do that, you're not going to be able to carry the abundance that God wants to pour out into your life. And it could be spiritual things. I've had people come up, oh my gosh, we just had a had a crusade and I laid hands on a blind guy and his eyes opened and I'm like oh praise Jesus and so I'm like well, that's what I want to do yeah I'm being honest God says you still need print son you're still comparing instead of saying God you are a good God you open that guy's eyes You don't even have to be a Christian to know this. This is out of, this is out of a non-Christian magazine. Think about it. Without comparison, jealousy and envy can't exist. If I never compared, I wouldn't have anything to be jealous about or envious about. You want to stop being jealous? Quit looking horizontal, look vertical. Look at the one who released grace into somebody else's life instead of what you didn't get or what they got that you thought you deserved. All right, you want one more? Isn't this good? Oh, that, uh, that, don't give I know you're hating this, but don't say, oh, yeah, this is so good.
hurt so good. Anybody getting pruned today? You know what's good? Is you get pruned to a level of greater fruitfulness. That's a good thing. All right, one more. Oh, here, we'll read this verse. It's healthy to be content. But envy can eat you up. The verse actually says, envy is cancer to your bones. It'll kill you. It'll destroy you. It'll destroy you. All right, here we go, complaining. And we'll just, we'll do this one really quick. Start comparing. He got this. I got this. I should have got that. She got, she got 12 times as much as I did. She didn't work. One hour. I worked 12. And it says they complained against the landowner. You made them equal to us. You made me bear the heat of the day. They got to work in the shadows. What should they have been saying? Thanks for living up to your word, for one. Man, that guy is such a good boss. He knew that she needed it more than I did. She knew, he knew that his family couldn't put food on the table today. He's a good God. He's a good boss. He, he, he goes above and beyond. But no, we love to complain, don't we? Complaining was bad before the internet, and now it's even worse. Anybody work in a customer service? You get more compliments or more complaints? Why do people complain? Because they got less than they thought they deserved. And I'm not saying we should be lazy with service. But check your mouth. You know why? Complaining is an open door to the enemy. Well, it took them 30 minutes to get my food on the table. I didn't even get water for 10 minutes. You know, I'm going to tell everybody how bad Western Maryland Health System is. It's the suckiest hospital. This, yeah. Or UPMC, whatever it is. Boy, we love to do that. Be careful. If I listed four things, I want you to pick the one that's not that bad. Idolatry. Sexual immorality. Testing Christ or complaining. This word complained is the same complained word that the Apostle Paul used to describe the children of Israel. And look what he grouped it with. Do not become idolaters, nor let us commit sexual immorality, nor let us tempt Christ, nor steal, cheat. He said complain. As some of them also complained and were destroyed, by the destroyer. You know, you think of they they murmured about everything. Oh, we had it so much better in Egypt. Let me go back there. Oh, I'm tired of this manna. God, you've been giving me this manna now for 38 years. I'm just so sick of it. I don't want any more quails. They complained against their leadership. Oh, Moses, he didn't know what he's doing. He's too old. But here's Paul's warning. He said, the things that happened in the Old Testament were for our admonition, that we can learn from them. God does not send destruction into your life in the New Covenant, but complaining will open the door up to the one who does. 
See, we're real familiar with the verse right after this. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Let's say this together. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now we apply that to a lot of things. But you know what the way of escape to complaining is? Shut your mouth. I mean, kind of simple. Stop it. You don't have to stay it. I was talking to somebody before church, and they said, you know, I listened to your message last week, and I realized just because I think it, I don't have to say it. Yeah, exactly. Jesus says this. He says, the thief comes not, but for to steal, to kill, and... They said, and they complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Same word, destroy. See, when you complain, God wants to give you abundance and you to have an abundant life. When we compare and when we complain, we open up the, for the enemy to come in and just take everything and destroy your life. God's will for you is a hundredfold. That's his will. Now, if you think about it, did everybody, the first group clearly had an agreement for, for a denarius a day, right? There was four other groups, all operating under the same system. Whatever is right is what I'll pay. Did they all get the same thing? Yes and no. They all got the same amount, but the one... They all didn't get paid the same for the amount worked. Right? So somebody worked nine hours and got a denarius. Somebody worked six, got a denarius. Somebody worked three and got a denarius. Somebody worked one and got a denarius. So they might have got the same amount at the end of the day, but what they were paid for what they did varied. And so what I want you to know is that even under grace, there's levels of grace at which God will pour out. He wants you at that, that hundredfold level. But to get there, sometimes you've got to deal with some stuff in your life. You've got to deal with some attitudes that you maybe have suppressed. For me, I just did confession to you guys, so I'm probably healthy for a while, at least till tomorrow. <laughs> but you know, sometimes you just need to say, hey, I have a problem. This is it. This is what I'm dealing with. And then open yourself up and let the Holy Spirit and the Word take care of it. Here's what I want to leave you with today. Shut your eyes to comparison. Shut your mouth to complaining. <laughs> Can we remember that? Shut your eyes to comparing and shut your mouth to complaining. Now, if you can remember that, you're going to have a good week.